Welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama students and teachers. My name is Nick Waxman, and today we are talking playwrights, Ibsen and Chekhov, similarities and differences. Ibsen and Chekhov have much in common, but it is knowing their differences that will be of most use to you. So, let's get to it! Anton Chekhov and Henrik Ibsen have different names. Well, that one's pretty clear right out of the gate. Glad we cleared that up. One, a poverty-stricken Russian doctor and satirist, a life cut short by disease. The other, a lifelong writer in a self-imposed exile who is honoured as the father of realism. But which is which? Chekhov was born and remained in Russia, while Ibsen was born in Norway, exiled himself to Italy, and then moved to Germany. Ibsen did not return to Norway until he was a successful playwright. Family. Both Ibsen and Chekhov had mothers who suffered due to financial difficulties. Both families were forced to move due to financial problems. Chekhov's family lived in poverty, while Ibsen's family was able to sustain themselves. Ibsen was poor throughout his early life, especially when he was a young writer. Both men's childhoods played into their later writing. Ibsen's family suffered financial losses, forcing them to move out of town, putting some strain on his mother, though she bared it well. You will see financial difficulty, the suffering of women, and secrets become themes in his work. Ibsen also used family members' names for characters in his plays. Chekhov's father was the director of the parish choir and a devout Orthodox Christian. However, this same man was also physically abusive. This may be why the theme of hypocrisy plays out in Chekhov's works. Fifteen years old and medicine. Uh, When Ibsen was fifteen years old, he was forced to leave school. He then became an apprentice pharmacist. He attempted to get into university, but did not pass the exams. So, he focused on writing. Chekhov was kept down a year at fifteen for failing an ancient Greek examination. Chekhov would eventually become a doctor supporting a family. Chekhov would support his family, who lived in poverty, by selling humorous sketches to the newspapers, catching and selling goldfinches, and tutoring. Ibsen also supported his family, but more directly, his son. At 18, Ibsen fathered a son after a dalliance, and supported the boy's upbringing until the child was 14. It is believed Ibsen never met his son. Pseudonyms. Both men wrote early works under pseudonyms or fake names. Chekhov's pseudonym was Antosha Chekonte. Henrik Ibsen's was Brynjolf Yame. Jobs, life. The men's lives were very different. Chekhov, a qualified doctor, lived with tuberculosis, which is chest pains, coughing up blood, pain when breathing, night sweats. He travelled around Russia where he seemed to make a difference wherever he went, whether it was campaigning for the rights of convicts, building schools, fire stations and clinics, or seeing poor patients for free. His tuberculosis eventually wore him out, and he married and focused on his writing. Chekhov remained in Russia. Ibsen was a career writer. He lived in poverty with his wife before moving to Italy, and while working for a theatre company, he wrote, directed or produced 145 plays. First Play Failures Chekhov and the Seagull. The Seagull was unfortunately booed off the stage, but luckily a friend of Stanislavski uh, convinced him to mount it at the famous Moscow Arts Theatre. The Burial Mound, Ibsen's first work, received very little attention. He had no success in the first few years of his writing. Their first successes. Well, Ibsen's first success was a show called Brand in 1865, followed by Pierre Gint and a doll's house and ghosts. Huge successes. Chekhov had the Seagull, which we know was booed off stage, but eventually became very popular at Moscow Arts Theatre, Uncle Vanya, Three Sisters, and The Cherry Orchard. Things they thought, uh, but they were quite wrong about. Uh, Chekhov denounced the theatre after the Seagull's initial failure, but quickly changed his mind once Stanislavski and Moscow Arts Theatre saw its successful staging. Ibsen believes his greatest work was an epic called Emperor and Galilean, 
but history obviously disagrees with that. Their greatest works. Here I am going to describe one of each of these playwrights' greatest works, give you a synopsis, and then talk a little bit about the themes. Three Sisters by Chekhov was written in 1901, before the Russian Revolution. Olga, Masha, and Irina Prozorov, they now live with their brother, Andrei, in a big house on the edge of a small Russian town. The townspeople are backwards and boring compared to their educated and cultured family, so the sisters are not fond of their living arrangements. They want to go back to the city they left 11 years earlier. Olga is an unmarried schoolteacher. Masha is married to a schoolteacher who she makes a cuckold of when she sleeps with a military officer. And Irina wants to fall in love, but settles for a man who has been slowly wearing her down. However, before they can marry, he is shot dead in a duel. Andre, the brother, gives up his intellectual dreams to pursue a town girl called Natasha. They marry, have kids, and little by little she takes over the estate. At the end of the play, the upper class have lost everything, while Natasha, a symbol for the working class, is on the rise. In The Three Sisters, the clear themes are dissatisfaction, dreams, hopes, isolation, love, marriage, society, women, and femininity. A Doll's House by Ibsen, written in 1879. At the beginning of the play, all seems hunky-dory. The Helmers, Nora and Torvald, are both quite excited because Torvald has gotten a new job as a manager of a bank. The couple won't have to worry about money anymore. Nora confesses to a friend, Christine, that she has a secret debt due to a trip away to help with her husband's illness. To save Torvald's pride, she borrows money without his knowledge to fund a year in Italy. A creepy man named Krogstad shows up. He works at the bank that Torvald is about to manage. It seems like Nora knows him, but we aren't told why. Krogstad is furious because Torvald is going to fire him, and Nora's friend is getting his job. It turns out that he is the person Nora borrowed money from. Krogstad threatens to expose Nora's crime if he loses his job. Nora begs Torvald, her husband, not to fire Krogstad. Then Dr. Rank arrives. Nora does some subtle flirting with him and wants to ask him to pay off the debt, but he tells her that he's in love with her and dying, so she lets that go. Krogstad bursts in, super mad about getting fired. He tells Nora that he's going to blackmail Tolvolt into giving him a better job than he had before. Nora, at this point, completely flips out. Christine returns, and Nora tells her everything. She's afraid that when Tolvolt finds out, a wonderful, terrible thing will happen, that Tolvolt will take all the blame for her. Luckily, Christine and Krogstad actually had a thing in the past. So Christine goes to Krogstad and says, I want you back and I want to raise your children with you. Krogstad is overjoyed. He says he'll demand his black letter mail back, unopened. Christine tells him not to. She thinks the lies in the Helmer household need to be revealed. When Torvald read Krogstad's letter, he totally flips out, telling Nora that she is a terrible person. He laments that they'll have to do whatever Krogstad says. He insists that Nora is not to be allowed near the children anymore because she may corrupt them. Just then, a letter arrives from Krogstad. In the letter, Krogstad says that he's had a change of heart, thanks to Christine, and will no longer be blackmailing them. Torvald is really very happy and forgives Nora. Nora, however, does not forgive Torvald. She thought he would sacrifice himself for her. She tells him that she's leaving him because they've never had a real marriage. She's never been more than a doll in his house. He begs her to stay, but she refuses, leaving both him and the kids with the slamming of a door. The clear themes here are lies, honour and courage, Sickness, family, and love. Styles. Ibsen rewrote the rules of drama with realism, and Chekhov would adopt them when he was writing. Ibsen is called the father of modern drama. He created the realism style we know and understand. Chekhov. His writing was short, punchy, and hooked the audience in quickly. Chekhov's gun. He wanted you to remove anything that has no relevance to the story. A quote from Chekhov. 
One must never place a loaded rifle on stage if it isn't going to go off. It's wrong to make promises that you don't mean to keep. Deaths. Ibsen died at age 78 after a series of strokes. When his nurse claimed that he was getting better, Ibsen spurted out, On the contrary! And those were his final words. Chekhov dies at 44 from tuberculosis. His last words were, I'm dying! And when the doctor brought him a syringe and a glass of champagne to say goodbye, he said, It's a long time since I drank champagne. Ibsen was pretty desperate for success, and was glad to have it. And Chekhov was desperate to make a difference and clearly did. Both these men developed work that highlighted hypocrisy, injustice, and limitations of our class society, built on lies, defending one's honour, and of course, money. One, a poverty-stricken Russian doctor and satirist, a life cut short by disease. The other, a lifelong writer in a self-imposed exile, who is honoured as the father of realism. But which is which? Well, hopefully now you know. That is all from us at The Aside. There is a load of episodes in the bank, so please do feel free to find one that piques your interest. Please do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. You can send us a question or some feedback, and we can respond to it in a future episode. Thank you very much to Eltham College for letting us record here, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, and of course, thank you for listening.